Welcome to our podcast that we call The Assembly, where we are focusing on what it means to be a part of God's called out assembly of people, which is the church, called out from the world and trying to live the way that God wants us to live. We are created to be vessels of God's love to a world that needs to know him. And knowing him in a personal relationship of intimacy and obedience is not something that people are going to understand if it's not taught to them, if it's not modeled for them. We are the only Bible that some people are going to read. Maybe you've heard that statement before, and it's very, very true. Uh, people are not you know, typically reading the Bible. They're looking at Christians to see how they act and how they live. And uh, we can do a better job than we've done in the past showing people what it's all about. Now, if you're called to be a vessel of God's love, though, what do you do about people who try to drain you of that and don't want to hear that, don't want to have that from you, uh, don't want you to be a person of love? They try to take advantage of you. They try to pull you down. Uh, no matter how much you love them, they don't love you back. What do you do with all of that? Well, you remember that even God will not be in a relationship with someone who will not be in a relationship with them. Even God will not forgive someone, for example, who doesn't repent and ask for forgiveness. And Jesus was never unkind to anyone uh, who came to him with the right attitude. He never turned them away. He never sent them away empty-handed when they came to him for a blessing, when they came uh, with an honest and sincere heart. But there were people that he did turn away. Um, you know, he was told one time that he had offended the religious leaders. And uh, he said, leave them alone. In other words, it's not my problem that I've offended them. And he even called them blind leaders of the blind. And he said, if the blind lead the blind, they're both going to fall into the ditch. He had his boundaries. And you and I need to have that too. We need to realize that it is not our responsibility to allow people to just habitually take advantage of us. We are to help people when they need help. And we are to do whatever we can as we have opportunity but not to people who just continually take advantage of us and try to walk all over us. You know, we've talked about this before, but Galatians 6 verse 10 says, As you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. So first of all, we think about people who are Christians who need our help, and we help them. But as we have opportunity, we try to help everybody. But we don't let everybody take advantage of us. It's kind of like giving to those in need, giving to the poor. Well, if you always give to everybody who asks from you, then you would probably become poor yourself and it wouldn't be long before you would be asking for help. That's not good stewardship. That's not what God has called you to do. God has called you to use good judgment and help people. And the same Bible that teaches, give to those who ask of you. Jesus taught that in the Sermon on the Mount. The one who wants to borrow from you, don't turn him away. That's a principle. There's no question about that, and we are to live according to that principle. But the text also says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if anyone not work, don't let him eat. So don't get caught up in this idea, I'm a Christian, so I have to be somebody's punching bag. I have to allow myself to be mistreated. Now, you will be mistreated as a Christian, and you are not to retaliate. You are to be willing to take more than other people and all of that. But people that come at you and you know they have no interest in changing, they have no interest in... Uh, changing their life. You know, when you help someone, it's for the purpose of helping them change their life. Sharing with people who are in need is for the purpose of sharing Jesus. You know, if you look at the early church, the church that you read about in the book of Acts, they were constantly helping people in the church. 
people who were Christians, their brothers and sisters. And if they helped somebody outside of that, it was for the purpose of changing that person and bringing them to Christ. And if a person has no interest in coming to Christ and you can help them to a degree, help them. But keeping them up, continually giving them things, getting yourself in trouble, that's not what you're called to do. So we have to be people of good sense, sound judgment. And we have to be people who abide by the principles of the gospel. Helping people is good, but allowing people to take advantage of you is not. Letting people drain you of your joy, of your happiness, of your peace. Those aren't things that you're called to do. You know, God wants Christians to be people of joy, to be people of peace. Why? Because when you see that in someone else, you wonder, how did they get to be that way? That's what I want. That's what everybody wants. Everybody wants joy and everybody wants peace because we live in a very difficult and dark world and trouble is around us on every side. And it's not easy to live in this world. Life is hard and it's not even easy when you become a Christian. Sometimes Christianity brings a different kind of trouble because now you're not only dealing with the same problems everyone else has, but you're trying to avoid temptation. You're trying to overcome uh, things that you used to didn't even care about. You used to, before you were a Christian, you didn't care about pleasing God. You didn't care about doing what God wants you to do. Now you do, and so many things are trying to pull you away from that. So you have problems, and you have difficulties, and yet you have peace, and you have joy through Christ. doesn't mean that you're happy all the time, because happiness and joy are not identical, at least the way we think of those those terms. Uh, happiness, you can almost hear it in the Word, depends on what happens. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. Joy is a state of being. It is a way of life. So no matter what's going on, even if you're sad, even if you are hurting, you can still have joy in the back of your mind or joy, you might say, upholding you and keeping you uh, from giving up because the joy and the hope of the Lord is always there with you. Someone has said that uh, happiness is like a thermometer. It will tell you the temperature. That's what a thermometer does. Happiness will tell you how you feel. But joy is like a thermostat. A thermostat determines the temperature. Joy will determine how you feel, not just tell you how you feel. It will determine how you feel about problems and how you feel about difficulties and how you feel about the bad things in life. Because without Christ, without hope, without joy, those things uh, can consume you. They can take away uh, your will to live. They can take away all sense of hope. When Christ comes into the picture because of what he's done in his life, his death, his resurrection, his conquering of the grave, we always have hope. And hope is an anchor for the soul. We are in Christ and we have something to hold on to. The book of Hebrews says that we have that anchor and that anchor is Christ. And it is there all the time. It's there in the good times as well as in the bad times. It's just as real when things are going against us as it is when things are going for us. In fact, it will be more obvious in the difficult times than it will be in the, in the good times. It will be more evident that God has given us strength to overcome problems when the problems obviously are there and problems are coming at you on all sides. So I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what life is like for you right now. But I do know there's always hope. You don't ever need to give up and think that hope is lost. It's never lost. There is a God of the universe who cares about you. There is a God who created all things who cares about you. There is a God who sent his son into the world to save you, who cares about you. So hold on to hope even when it seems like 
all hope may be gone. The hope of Christ is never gone. It's always there for you. Well, how do you do that? How do you hold on to hope? Well, one way is by realizing the connection between hope and faith and salvation. Romans 8, for example, says that we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Faith, in other words, is the substance of what we don't see. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says. All right, so we don't see Jesus with our physical eyes. We don't see God in the flesh the way that you're seeing me right now and the way that we see people here on earth. But we see them through the eye of faith. And we know that they are there because of the evidence that God has planted, for example, in creation. And also the evidence that Jesus came into this world and was raised from the dead. A lot of people say, well, why does God not just show us uh, all these things now? Why does he not just show himself? I may not know all the reasons that he doesn't do that. I know that he wants faith. And I know that if he just spoke to you out of heaven, faith would not be required. I also know this, though. It would be far easier for him to do what you're talking about there than to do what he did. God has shown himself. He has revealed himself. He has made himself known. And he did that through Christ coming into the world and suffering and going to the cross and being raised from the dead. That's how he has shown himself to the world. And it would be far easier for him to just open up the skies and, and, and talk to you than to go through what he went through. Something about love is there. Something about identifying with us. Something about suffering with us. Um, and giving us a reason to have hope even when suffering tries to overtake us. Now, if you had an experience with God, like some people say God talks to them audibly. I'm not saying that they're lying. I'm not saying that they are, you know, that they don't believe that. But I don't believe God is talking to them audibly the way that I'm talking to you now. Because that would do away with faith. If God just spoke to you or God revealed himself to you where you could see him with your physical eyes, where would faith be required for that? But faith is required. God works in connection with faith. And anyone who chooses to trust in him, chooses to put their faith in him, is always going to be accepted by him because faith has to do with his his honor. Faith has to do with the fact that he keeps his promises. Now, we may not understand why that's so important, to him, but it is. But I think we do have a, a, a little bit of an idea because when someone trusts you and takes your word for something, then that says a lot about how they uh, think of you and what they, what kind of person they think you are. Well, when we say that we trust in God and we believe in God, regardless of how things appear to us, regardless of how things might look right now, we know that God is real and we know that he cares about us. He's proven that he cares about us through Christ, that says what we think about him, that he would never lie to us, that he's always true, and that he would never abandon us. So faith is important, and faith is the evidence of what we don't see. That's the closest thing the Bible gives to a definition of faith, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of what is hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But going back to Romans chapter 8, Paul says, hope that is seen is not hope. Why would you hope for what you see? We are in the position right now of, of hope and faith. You remember in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, Now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why did he say the greatest of these is love? Why is love greater than faith, and why is love greater than hope? Because love will make it to heaven. Faith and hope will be realized. So right now, we are in the middle ground. We are in the temporary 
we're in the uh, partial, the incomplete, the part of our existence where we are trusting in God and we don't fully know or realize all these things in the flesh in an absolute way. But there's coming a day, and in the flesh is not the right way to describe it, but it will be in a real uh, experiential way. We will be in the presence of God, and there will be no need for hope. There will be no need for faith because faith will be realized. Faith will be replaced by sight. We will know God. What are you going to do until that day? What are you going to do to keep from being dragged down in this world and to keep from giving up before that day comes? You're going to have to hold on to your faith and you're going to have to hold on to your hope. Hope again, an anchor for the soul. It is something that you can hold on to, the hope of Christ. You watch a person when they've lost hope, bad things are coming. Because when a person has given up hope, they've basically given up on life. There's never a time to do that. If you're in a position right now where you're being tempted to give up hope, then it's time to take a fresh look at what life is all about and how life came to be and the creator of the universe and the son of God. There's never a time to lose hope because Jesus is alive and he's going to remain alive and he has conquered death. So if the world and life in this world becomes as bad as it can possibly be, what would that change about the life of Jesus? What would that change about what Jesus has accomplished? Absolutely nothing. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he's not getting up. His work is finished. He has already conquered every enemy that's going to come against you. But right now, you're in the incomplete phase. You've not realized it fully like you will when you get to heaven. So you have to keep going. You have to keep holding on. You have to keep looking to God in faith so that you will have hope. Why does God do it that way? Well, what would you appreciate about God in heaven if you did not go through the sufferings of the earth? What would you appreciate about what Jesus did if you did not go through sufferings? You know, a soldier can march in a parade, but if that's all he does is march in a parade, he's not really a soldier. There has to be some times where he's tested. And that's the way being a soldier of Christ is. We're going to be tested. We're called to be tested. And we are changed and transformed by being tested. Changed into what? Why do we need to be tested? Why do we need to suffer? Because our destiny is to be like Jesus. And God wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans chapter 8, transformed into the image of Christ. Now, did he suffer? Yes. Then we're going to have to suffer. And the suffering has a point to it. There's nothing worse, probably, no worse feeling than to think that there's no point to life. Therefore, you're just suffering for no reason. And that's when people are tempted to give up hope. But there is reason. There is a reason for suffering. There is a reason for what we are called to go through. And the reason is Jesus. The reason is to be like him. He cares about you. He wants you to be like him. He wants you to be with him for eternity. There are a lot of things about the holiness of God and about the wrath of God and about living forever with God in heaven that we don't understand. We never will fully understand. But we know for sure that he wants us to be there. How do we know? We know because he gave his son to die for us. We know because everything that was required to save us, to get us to heaven, was done fully and completely by Jesus. And that's why you have hope and that's why you have faith. God has shown how much you mean to him and how much he cares about you. 
So do you have to understand everything that he does? Do you have to understand everything that he allows? Does he have to explain himself to you? Does he owe you explanations? Or is the life of Jesus enough? Is it focusing on Jesus enough to get you through? Is that enough? When you say, God, I don't understand all of these things. I don't understand the things that I go through. But I know what you've done for me in Jesus. And I know the love that you've shown me. And that's enough for me. Now, there'll come a day when we will understand a lot more than we do now. And we'll understand a lot more about why life was the way it was and, you know, why we went through certain things. I believe that fully. I believe that we'll understand it better uh, by and by, as several songs have put it. But for now, what do we need to know? We need to know that God loves us. We need to believe that God loves us. And we need to believe that Jesus Christ is the answer and that there's always hope because of him. Don't ever let go of that. Don't ever let people cause you to let go of that. You know, people will, when you're suffering especially, they always want to tell you uh, why you're suffering, why God allows this. You know, it's just like when Job was suffering. You remember his friends had all these answers. None of them were right. And uh, God rebuked them very strongly. Listen to the word of God. Listen to God when you're suffering. And if people are encouraging you to continue to serve Christ, to continue to believe and to keep on keeping on, then they're doing what friends are supposed to do. But if they have their own theories about the nature of suffering that they didn't get from the Bible and they're using just human imagination on you and human logic and the wisdom of the world, then, you know, that's going to cause you a lot of emotional problems if you listen to that. The only one to listen to when you're suffering is God. And if a person is telling you what God has said or telling you what the Word of God says, fine, that's good. But watch out for those who are self-appointed experts on the matter of suffering, especially your suffering. There are people who will do far more harm to your emotional well-being, your mental health, than they will good because they think they know things they don't know. And we don't need that. We don't need people putting things in our head that are not true. And some people are just like, you know, their minds are just like a sponge and they walk around and people say things and people criticize them and people give their opinions about life and the nature of life and the nature of evil and the nature of suffering. And they just soak it up like a sponge. You got to be discerning. You got to be willing to allow the word of God to be like a sharp two-edged sword and to realize that it is the sword of the spirit and it cuts away certain things that don't need to be there, that don't need to be in your mind. Saturate yourself with what God has said. And, uh, you know, you may not know the exact book, chapter, and verse, but you know the principles of the gospel if you've read the Bible. And you know what God has said about suffering. You know what he has called us to. And you know what he says about hope and faith and never giving up. And so if someone comes along and says something that does not agree with that, then choose to believe the Bible. And when you choose to believe the word of God, you are allowing the spirit's sword to do the cutting that it's called to do in your life. So it is all about a, you know, a matter of how you talk to yourself. It's a matter of priorities. It's a matter of, of perspective, especially when you look at your life. Uh, now, if it's just from the standpoint of, you know, I'm going through this difficult time and, you know, it's not going to get better then that's a perspective. That's a, that's a very harmful perspective. When you look at the overall picture that this is a fallen world, 
and God is with us in this world, and we don't have to understand everything about him. We don't have to understand everything that he allows. We know that he loves us, and you look at the big picture perspective. Jesus has already been here. Jesus has already suffered. Jesus is calling me to suffer for him, and he has said that he will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He will always be with me through the suffering. Then you're looking at the big picture, and that will change your life. That will also change your view of what you're going through. And changing how you view what you're going through may be the difference between life and death, the difference between having hope and no hope. So guard your heart and mind. Allow the Word of God to guard your heart and guard your mind and allow your thoughts to be positive thoughts that come from God and spring forth from the Word of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. It is a dangerous trap to fall into to try to figure things out. And people do that all the time. They want to figure out God. They want to figure out why life goes the way that it does before they'll just simply trust him. And that's a big mistake. Trusting in God is the key to hope. It's the key to life. It's the key to making it through dark and difficult times. And he is worthy of trust. He has proven it over and over that he's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your faith. Put your faith in him because when you do, he knows it. And it makes him proud of you. It makes him pleased with you when you decide to trust him, no matter what comes your way. Jesus was absolutely well-pleasing to his father in every way. And you know what he did? He trusted in his father and he sought to do his father's will. And that's our pattern. That's our example. We can be pleasing to God the same way Jesus was by seeking to do God's will and by trusting in God. Now, we will be saved on the basis of Christ being perfectly pleasing to God. We'll never be perfectly pleasing. We'll always have periods of sin in our life, periods where we let God down that Jesus did not have. But the overall direction of our life can be exactly the way that Jesus's was. We can live to please God. We can live to trust God. We can live to do the will of God. And it's hope, hope that will give you the power to do that. So no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are in life, no matter what your lot in life is right now, don't give up hope. Don't stop believing in Jesus. Don't stop believing in God's power to help you. And don't believe that it's never going to get any better. It's always going to get better. The best is always yet to come for the Christian. And that's something you got to keep in mind. Uh, it is something that will change your life. It's something that will change the way that you view life. And when you do that, then you're ready to face it. Uh, like you will in no other way. You'll face it with power and strength like you will in no other way when you're looking at life the right way, looking at it from the standpoint of God being a unique creation of God as a vessel of God's love to others and also as a person who has been called to follow Jesus in the footsteps of Jesus. And some of that includes suffering. There is a point to it. Don't give up. Don't give up hope. And don't allow people to drag you away from God or to adversely affect your mental health because you have allowed them into your mind when what should have been in your mind was the teachings of Christ and the Word of God. So consider all these things that we're talking about. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't give up faith. And always look to Jesus for the strength that you need. And your life will not always go perfectly. It will not always be exactly what you want it to be, but it will be successful if you keep your hope in Jesus and keep your faith in Him because it's always going to work out for those who do. In the end and in the meantime, Jesus is with you through all of those dark times. 
Thank you for watching our podcast that we call The Assembly. We look forward to seeing you next time. And God be with you till we meet again.